Welcome to the St. Patrick's Podcast. It's great to have you with us. We're going to continue our series on the Sacrament of the Eucharist. It's our second series that we're doing today. Uh, my name is Kevin McGloin. I'm the Director of Liturgy and Youth Ministry here at St. Pat's. And I'm just plain old Father Eric yeah, here no at St. Kidding. Patrick's. Okay. Yeah, great to have you here. Yeah, so, I'm so glad we have listeners here, and we want to welcome this, this podcast, Kevin. It's good to be here with you today. Yeah. So what are we talking about today? We are going to talk about the Sacrament of the Eucharist. I mean, this oh. is the good stuff. I mean, they're all good. All seven sacraments yeah. are good. But this, this is central to what we believe as Catholics. Ah, the Eucharist, another sometimes known as the Mass. The Mass. That's the right. Liturgy. The high point of the, of the Catholic faith here. Exactly. You know, Kevin, one of the things that I always... Uh, uh, kind of uh, puzzled by in our world here, especially in our Catholic faith, is that the sacraments are really centered on community. And in the community, we have that meal, the meal, the sacrifice called the Eucharist. And that's really the heart of our faith. And yet today, if we were to look at our Catholic faith as a whole in our country, about 25% of Catholics in this country would go to Mass every week. And the rest... Uh, in and out a lot of times. you think they come once in a while? Once in a while, some of them. Some, some maybe don't come twice at all, a month. Twice yeah, a year. Some, yeah, yeah maybe about true. twice a year if they do yeah. come and all. And it's so key, it's so central, that feeding that God wants to feed us, that I think there's a lot of times there's a misunderstanding. I think there's placing God as another thing that we have to do. and Kind of a consumeristic yeah, attitude. Yeah, and really not one of a loving yeah, relationship. Exactly, So sure. it's a hard thing for a lot of people to do, and I think the Church just needs to continue, we as, a, as the leadership here, Kevin, in our podcast, just to retell the story of love, tell the restory of the meal and why we're here. Our Catholic faith teaches us that, really, of all prayer, it's the source and summit. Why? Because it deals with the real presence of Jesus, of God being present there in the most powerful way. Oh, yeah, he's everywhere. He's in your golf carts, and he's in your homes, he's uh, out in the woods and all that, but uniquely in community at table. Exactly. And so, Father Eric, the Eucharist, celebrated as a community, you know, teaches us a few things. You know, first and foremost, it teaches us about human dignity. The Eucharist calls us to right relationship with God. That, you know, the Eucharist also calls us into right relationships with ourselves, and that's important. I think sometimes people don't think about that, mm -hmm. but it really does, that we are spiritually whole, spiritually, you know, in touch with Jesus, and it also calls us into right relationships with others. And so as the body of Christ, it sends us on a mission um, when we go to Mass to transform our communities, to transform our neighborhoods, to transform our world. Now, if you take a look at it, church teaching rooted in both scripture and tradition, emphasizes both the personal and social natures of the Eucharist. You know, popes such as, uh, as Paul VI, John, uh, John Paul, Benedict XVI, their writings talked about the social nature of the Eucharist. And let me tell you, their words, Father Eric, were challenging. They challenge us and move us to encounter Christ in the Eucharist, both in a personal and social way. You know, a pope is really the shepherd of the whole world. And so that's really insightful that it is a social uh, component to, to the Eucharist. The word Eucharist, Kevin, um, in the Greek, really means one of thanksgiving, giving thanks. That every meal, every time we gather for Mass, every time we remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross here at the Eucharist, uh, is one of giving thanks. That should be the mindset and the body language. It's taken me a long time in my prayer life to realize that I don't always have to ask God for everything like... Uh, you know, maybe Notre Dame can win this week, or, you know, or, yeah, or my car will start, or some serious prayers when, when people are really asking for it. 
But I've always found out that if I really start, first of all, by just thanking God, there's a sense of peace that comes upon me. That's not always one of asking, but there seems to be a real uh, peacefulness, a real gentleness and heart that sometimes uh, it gets lost when I, I don't, I'm not thankful. And that's really what the Mass is, is giving thanks to, to Jesus, to, to God for everything we do. And so part of what we do is we gather together and do what Jesus gave us, the meal. <laughs> that happens in our family, in our lives. It's something we, that's so common every day. But yet Jesus says in a beautiful way of his love, take and eat, take and drink. This is my body. This is my blood. And what a gift that Jesus gives to us. The scriptures, both the gospel of John, we can see quite clearly, and many of Paul's letters. And we learn from the highlights of many of the early Christian community that constantly talked about Eucharistic bread and wine becoming the body and blood of Jesus. Yeah, and you know, Catholics, Father Eric, we accept this challenging teaching at face value, mm -hmm. but I think the key is it's a challenging teaching. But but we because it's difficult. And I wonder why. Isn't that interesting? Why that would be a, a challenge? Something that's a gift from God. Something that Jesus Himself does. And how do I wonder how we get to that point sometimes? Well, it, I you know I'm not really sure. But when we receive, we believe when we receive the body and blood of Christ, the Eucharist, we're actually partaking in the body and blood of Christ in the form of bread and wine. Mm -hmm. And you know, you look at it, St. Paul, he affirms this. You take a look at, at the first letter to the Corinthians, mm -hmm. he affirms this. This was part of the early church. But if you also look you know, outside of Scripture in the tradition of the church, if you look at the writings of the early church Christians, nearly every notable writing of the early church mentions the Eucharist, either it implies or directly states that the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper is truly, truly the body and blood of Christ. My goodness, how can that happen? What do we as Christians uh, look to to give some examples? I think two things, Kevin, come to mind with me. If we look at Jesus' life, did you notice that in the Gospels that he has power over nature in stopping the storms and the wind, in healing bodies, driving out demons? Now, back in that ancient Mediterranean world, that would have been very powerful. People would have really said, whoa, something really is happening here. And what we see some 2,000 years later as we break that open is that that's God who has power over all nature. Jesus isn't just a man that knows how to trick nature, but that that's what makes God. And so he's not bound by time, by elements, by nature at all. The second thing is Jesus and his disciples being of the Jewish faith are part of, a, of a, a faith that understands remembering. Now, it's a lot different when you and I kind of remember. Well, remember what we had for dinner last night, Kevin? Or, uh, barely. Yeah. Uh, remember who won the game a few weeks ago? Do you remember not when we sons. first graduated in sons. 1977, since we both graduated together uh, uh, that's in, way at the too same long. year? Yeah. That's, the, that's way too long ago. But the Jewish people have a remembrance that is so powerful, it makes the past presence. The only thing I can think of is that What's the greatest smell of a food? What, um, maybe it's at school that you had this smell that brings you back. Maybe it was a new car smell. Something that is just, it just hits your senses and all of a sudden you're brought back in time and go like, I'm, I'm back there. I'm eating that meal that mom used to make or dad used to make. And for the Jewish people, that's made a lot of sense that the Exodus is made 
present in such a powerful way that it's there. It's the same event, but made present. So when Jesus is saying, take and eat, take and drink, this is memory, uh, do this in memory of me, this makes a lot of sense. They get that. Now, there's a word that we use in the church that's kind of a church, fancy church word, transubstantiation. Try to spell that, Kevin. Uh, say you that know. 10 times real yeah. quick. Yeah, maybe you go to Matholic Conception Elementary School and try to do the spelling bee there. You probably wouldn't make it after the first few rounds, huh? Well, transubstantiation is really a term that theologians use that help describe that mystery. We'll never totally understand it, but in essence, what it's saying is that bread and wine are transformed into the body and blood of Christ, still having the outward appearance of wine and of bread. So it takes a lot of faith to believe in that, doesn't it? It sure does, Father Eric. And I think this is why this term transubstantiation, what, what you talked about how theologians, you know, first came from medieval Catholic theologians used to describe this. This is why we as Catholics have such a great reverence and love for the Eucharistic bread and wine. It's because since Catholics believe that the Word of God is present in them just as fully as he is present in the physical body of Christ, Catholics just don't worship a host. But Father Eric, what we are worshiping is Jesus Christ in that bread, Jesus Christ in that wine, because it's in the Eucharistic um, bread and wine that it becomes the mm -hmm. body and blood of Christ. Now, the miracle of God's presence in the bread and wine of the Eucharist is comparable to his, the miracle of his presence among us in the person of Jesus Christ. They're both beyond our comprehension. And I think, I don't know, Father Eric, this is sometimes I think where Catholics get a little, you know, they hear that term transubstantiation, this is, you know, this is uh, my body, this is my blood. I think they get a little hung up on this because I think part of it is beyond our, if you really think about it, it's beyond our comprehension. Yeah. We're finite beings. We have a beginning and end. And and the problem is, is we're trying to figure out an infinite being in God yes. who has no beginning, who has no end, and we're trying to figure it out. So our finite brains are trying to figure out we can't fully comprehend it. And so we say, oh, I can't comprehend it. You know, see, you wouldn't want to be a, and we just let that go. But, but reality is, is what it does is the Eucharist reveals Jesus's great love for us. That what he does, what he did, is he placed himself in humanity at the disposal of humanity, i.e. dying on the cross, for the sake of our salvation. That is the ultimate love story, Father Eric. Yeah. And you know, part of the love story, kind of continuing what you're saying, Kevin, um, is this, is that Eucharist has the ability to draw people into communion. A number of years ago, I watched with over a billion people on television the funeral of Pope John Paul II, now, now considered a saint in our, in our church. And what was interesting is watching at the Vatican, they brought people in and they were seating them before the funeral. And you know what was interesting? Uh, the Jewish people the, from Israel were sitting next to some Palestinians. And, and, and you saw some of the people who would be maybe considered enemies or not getting yes, along, all sat together, and they were all surrounded around, around that table and for me, that was a glimpse of the kingdom of God that Jesus and the scriptures constantly talk about. And so it means that we have a place in that community. And in a world right now that there's a lot of division, you know, we always talk about the haves and have-nots, the rich and the poor, and those people who are right and those who aren't like us. There's so much division in the world, and yet the Eucharist supersedes that and brings about a powerful unity that at Mass, say at Mass this Sunday at St. Patrick's when we go, we are there with people who own businesses, 
or are rich, who are wealthy or well-to-do, possess a lot, and other people who are barely making it, who are really maybe in, in, are marginalized or kind of made invisible in the world. And yet, in the eyes of God and the name of this community, we're all in it together. Exactly. And that's a powerful thing of Eucharist. And not many things can be found in the world like that. There's always division. And this voice of unity, of community, of communion with God, with each other, is just a small voice in a world that constantly preaches division, separation, stay on your side. And that's the deep mystery of Eucharist. And you know, Father Eric, to dovetail on that a little bit, what the Eucharist also is a sign of is our unrivaled dignity as human persons. Um, this dignity is given to all equally, regardless of, you know, as you talked about, our social and economic status or where we come from. But it, what it does is it causes us to recognize value in each person, that each person, no matter what their economic or social status or who they are, has in God's eyes if Christ offers himself equally to each one of us, then we are equal in the eyes of God. We are all, we all have dignity in the eyes of God. And that's, that, in a sense, is what the Eucharist gives us. It's a sign of our unrivaled dignity as human persons. If our Eucharistic worship is authentic, it must make us grow in awareness. And I think this is challenging stuff, Father Eric, especially in this day and age. Mm -hmm. But if our worship at Mass is authentic, it must make us grow in the awareness of the dignity of each individual in our world. Yeah, that's a, that's a big challenging thing. How that do we see dignity in human beings, you know, seen as persons? Huh? And uh, that, that's important. Um, I think you and I kind of recently talk, and we share what's going on in our lives a few times there. Sure. Some challenging and some joys that we've, we've shared. We've known each other, Kevin, for, gee, over 30-plus years. Too long, I yeah, think. Yeah, this is too long there. Just and, kidding. And, and just recently when we were talking, we were saying, how do people really do it without Eucharist? I mean, there are some Amen. heavy burdens Amen. out there. Uh, recently at a, at a staff prayer, uh, we had uh, someone uh, take some of those envelopes that people write their petitions on there, and we ask them to put their prayer petitions or who they're praying for in our, in our basket. And as a staff, we pray for them and on those gifts, on those petitions every Wednesday. And we were asked to give in one, and we just read. We didn't see the names or anything, but we read some of those things, and I was really struck by some of the things that people struggle with, you know? There's a lot of suffering uh, yeah, going on. to pray for people who have cancer, to pray for our political leaders, to, to pray that I find a job or find someone to love. I'm worried about my family and our, our divorce possibility and all. There's a lot of pain going on. And so how do people do without Eucharist. There's some weeks there that are really heavy for me, and I look forward to being with those people. It reminds me that I'm not alone, that people share my values. Doesn't mean we always get along, doesn't mean we see eye to eye, but I'm not alone in this world, and I'm, and I'm like with other people who believe in Jesus. And, and the unity comes about that we want to follow Jesus in, in whatever path that we, we can. And uh, that's pretty powerful, Kevin. And so I think... Um, oh, it sure is. You know, just knowing that, how do you do without it just kind of blows my mind. And it takes a long time to get to that point, to really love the Eucharist, love the Mass. Right. Exactly. I agree. And at the same time, the Eucharist, you know, there, there is a sense of responsibility that when we receive the body and blood of Christ, that when we go to Mass on Sunday, we hear the Word of God. We, we've got a responsibility out there for the world today. Um, the Christ in the Eucharist calls us to build a more human world, a more Christ-like world. It calls us to, 
to be a to, to, to build a world that's more in harmony with God's plan, that filled with all awe for all that we've received in Christ's self-gift, we're called to respond. We just can't mm-hmm. take it and say, hey, thanks, I'll see you next week, and yeah. do nothing with that. But we are called to respond when we receive the body and blood of Christ. We're called to respond with service, where we're called to respond with works of charity. We're called to respond to make the world Christ-like, kind of to, to shatter the darkness of sin with the light of Christ. And at the same time, we have a responsibility as Catholics who are receiving the Eucharist to work to transform unjust structures, policies, and laws that degrade human life and dignity. Yeah, and to really um, go from what you're saying, Kevin, the word mass, misa in Latin means what? To be sent. To be sent, yeah. <laughs> the most important part of the Mass, and for some Catholics, they take that a little too seriously, is to be leaving Mass. Yeah, they're a little too good at that yeah, part. They are, yeah. And, and you know, in our property here, if one comes and visits St. Patrick's here, there's a sign at the exits that say what? The Mass never ends. It must be lived. So go forth to love and serve the Lord. So what we believe and what we participate in, in the rituals of that Mass needs to be going out into the world. So we can't just be a community that only thinks inwardly and kind of circle the wagons and say, it's just about us and we're Catholics and we have all the truth and we don't engage with anyone. No, we're supposed to do what Jesus has sent us to do, to go out and and to proclaim the good news by our lives. Sometimes we might have to use churchy language and many times we just have to live the life. Our behavior is the one that does the best teaching. And so you're right, Kevin, Eucharist isn't just communion and prayers and personal piety, that it really, all that, what we do in the liturgy, everything calls us to lead out and, and to be Christ Amen. Uh, Amen to, to others. That. Yeah. And at the same time, the, the Eucharist is more than just a place where we celebrate our unity in Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, what's really awesome about this, Father Eric, is that the Eucharist creates this unity. When we eat the same bread and we drink from the same cup, we become the body of Christ present in the world today. So just as Christ became really present to us in the breaking of the bread, we become really present to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are one. When we receive the Eucharist at Mass, we, we are completely one with everyone else who is receiving Eucharist at Mass, that means we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the Eucharist not only signifies this unity, but in reality what the Eucharist does, it creates it. So the Eucharist is a sacrament in which, Father Eric, we become one body. Mm -hmm. And becoming one body, it's not like, hey, we're a team, or we're a group of people, or even fellowship. Becoming one body is becoming the body of Christ. It's becoming the living word that's visibly present in the world. We become the mystical body of Christ. You know, Kevin, we, we shared a lot of uh, good language and good information today, didn't we? You sure did. So where do we go? What do we, what do, we do in taking all this? At a, at a recent Christmas homily that I gave, uh, at Christmas, you know, we get all types of people coming. There are those people who are coming and going. Yeah, exactly. Some that come only a few times, or maybe even just twice a year. And they're all at different levels of how they see the Mass and they see the Eucharist. But one of the things I challenge people that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a city named House of Bread. That Jesus becomes flesh, food for the world there. And I invited everyone that struggles of Mass of going or not making time for it. Could you, could you give 12 times a year, just, just as a starting point, to get their foot in the door? Because something's happening here that many people missed out on that city of Bethlehem that night. 
people, it was just another birth. But to others, they knew what was happening or at least were curious of what was going on. And I think if we can give that invitation, try at some point if we're struggling with it, start with 12 and reflect and re remind yourself what, what's happening here. You know, I've been a priest for over 30 years. My love of Eucharist was a lot different when I was first ordained. I think my attitude was don't make any mistakes, you know, try to get through it and don't look dumb and don't give hom dumb homilies. A, I don't know if that's changed after 30 years or not. But uh, yes, it's <laughs> changed. It's changed. They're great homilies. But, can, but I, over, can I have a raise now? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but over time, there were some dry periods in my faith, just going through the motions, and other times very fertile that yeah. I was really in love with the Lord. And I think after 30 plus years, I can really say Eucharist means so much different to me. But that's a journey. And just because one goes and fulfills an obligation that you're going to get it, not every Mass is going to be a high point. Not every meal is going to be that in our family. Not every act of love is going to be all feeling, but we still do it anyway. And I think the Mass can be the same way. So it's just really maybe inviting people. Catholics could be better by just inviting people to come along. Go to breakfast, go to dinner afterwards after a Mass, and, and just know, fall in love with God again and fall in love with the meal. Don't make it rocket science. Huh? It's, it's simply a loving relationship. And so... I think that's kind of how we take this great information we've given to discern and how to make it practical. Well, Father Eric, thanks for joining us, and thank you for those who are well, listening I, I today. I didn't have anything else to do, Kevin. I mean, mm -hmm. there was nothing on my calendar other than be here and do this podcast. Amen. <laughs> and we want to thank everybody for listening to this podcast on the Sacrament of the Eucharist. Yes. We look forward to talking to you again about other sacraments in the Catholic a Church. And we'll see you at Mass. Amen.